Thank you, Todd, and thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here this morning. I bring greetings to you from uh, John MacArthur and the elders at Grace Community Church. Um, we um, have a very soft spot in our heart for this church and very excited about what this church is going to be and what you're going to do. Um, and it is an honor to be a part of that. You're one of nine churches that have been uh, planted, if you will, um, in the last couple months, or we're in the process of doing that. And um, it's, it's an interesting feeling to be an elder at two churches at the same time. And I just want you to know that um, um, it, it's a light burden to, to provide leadership to Todd in this church because of who Todd is, who he's demonstrated himself to be. And it's been an honor to get to know him. Um, and I think I've gotten to know him quicker and more intimately than maybe is normal. I mean, there's circumstances where we've uh, really had to deal with some issues, and I have to tell you, Todd has been exemplary. Um, Todd has made himself available to the leadership and the accountability and the oversight of Grace Church, including showing up at my 6 a.m. Starbucks group a couple of times on Friday mornings. And uh, joining in with the guys and, and wanting to be a part of that. So we're very excited about what's happening here and what's going to happen, and it's a, it really is an honor to be here. We've met with your leadership. Your leadership has come to um, one of our elder meetings. Um, you all have been to Grace Church. Um, there's been the children's training. We're amazed. Uh, there must be ruts in the 10 freeway leading from here to Grace Community Church, and uh, it's an honor to drive in those ruts back out here um, to be with you. Um, if I could, can I just open the time that we're going to spend in the Word in prayer? Lord, thank you for your Word. We thank you for the time we have this morning together in your Word. Lord, your Word does not return void. It is my prayer this morning um, that you're honored and glorified, that your church is built up, that these dear folks are encouraged and challenged, and that, and that the path before them becomes clear, not from what I say, but from the clarity of, of your Word. Lord, we commit this time to your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, there's lots of benefits of the church. Um, we've talked about some of them already this morning. Um, one of the benefits is the gospel. You get to hear the gospel at church. Romans 1.16 says um, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You have baptisms. Um, one of the benefits of the church, particularly at Grace Community Church, we do it every Sunday night. We, we see baptisms and we celebrate with a saint who is proclaiming his obedience to Scripture and the saving grace um, from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there's communion where we remember together the, the death and resurrection of Christ. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Um, that's church. Um, there's preaching and teaching. Acts 20.32 said says the word of God is able to build you up. The you in that verse is you. It's the benefit of the church. 2 Timothy 4.2 is a command to pastors and elders to preach the word, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And you know the receiving end of that is every one of us. That's the benefit of the church. You're not going to get that anywhere else. Another benefit of the church is spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The one another's in there is you and me. Each of us has been given spiritual gifts, a gift from the Lord, and, and we all get to benefit from that. 
What a gift from the Lord through the church. Then there's fellowship. Just this morning, the welcome you've given Anne and I, you don't get that anywhere but at a church. And thank you, by the way, for your warm welcome. But we all share a common bond through Jesus Christ that allows the fellowship of the church to be more rich than you're going to find anywhere else. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Show me any other organization, any other human institution where a priority of the, that um, gathering is to bear one another's burdens. Frank Colquin said this, The fellowship of the church is part of God's good news to men. It imparts to the gospel one of its most thrilling notes, that when Christ saves a man, he not only saves him from his sin, he saves him from his solitude. That's the church. Those are all amazing gifts that God gives us through the church. And and there's another one that I want to spend some time on this morning, and that is spiritual servant leadership. Leadership that leads you and guides you, guards you, teaches you, and prays for you. And you won't find that anywhere like you find it in the church. I really want to spend some time this morning in the Word expanding from Scripture our understanding of what spiritual leadership looks like, what the leadership of the church is supposed to look like. And I pray that when we're done, each of you will see it as yet another amazing gift from the Lord that we get to experience through His church. When you give your life to Christ, you become part of the body of Christ, and you come under the leadership of the church. Some see that as negative, and generally that's a reflection of leadership. Some have a history of, with spiritual leadership that's unpleasant. It's overbearing leadership. It's despotic. It's legalistic. It's absent. It's unhelpful. That's not biblical spiritual leadership. In other words, some of you here this morning may never have seen biblical spiritual leadership until very recently. Some of you have seen it, and you know what it's like. You know what the benefits are, and you anxiously um, bring yourself under it, and you understand how effective and helpful biblical spiritual leadership is. When you see it working, you see the incredible wisdom of God and the amazing gift that it is to His church, and you see His His love for the church expressed through good biblical spiritual leadership. Leadership within the church, as God has designed it, will have the greatest impact on your life of, of any other kind of leadership. Some of you are still under your parents' leadership. That's only for a time. Others of us are under the leadership of academic um, leadership, professors and teachers, and, and that can be an extraordinary influence on your life, but that's only for a time. If you're saved, the church will provide biblical leadership all the days of your life. Leadership in our culture is defined all kinds of ways. We tend to look at politics, business, and sports in the form of coaches or maybe leaders, players as examples and definitions of effective influential leadership. And that leadership ranges from aggressive leadership to passive leadership, from loud leadership to quiet leadership, um, happy to grumpy What happens is people see success on the football field or they see success in business or they see success in the White House or in the Senate or the House or whatever the political leadership is and everyone says, I want to be like that. I want to learn how that person leads. 
And you can have two exactly opposite approaches to leadership, and both will see success. These are discussed and celebrated in our culture. Best-selling books out there are books on leadership. Everybody wants to know how to lead. Everyone can find the flavor they want to find and say, that, I'm going to be the way I am because I'm going to be like that man or that woman, and they're successful, therefore I'm going to be successful. Any one of the styles I mentioned, aggressive, passive, loud, quiet, happy, grumpy, opinionated versus tolerant leadership, whatever kind of leadership you want to adopt, you can adopt in the business world, in the academic world, and in sports, and they can be successful. Spiritual leadership is very, very different from that. Church leadership is stable. It looks the same wherever you go. It's predictable. It's biblical. And it's incredibly effective. It's very different from corporate or political leadership. I've had the privilege of being in churches all over the country and around the world, from the Philippines to India, Ukraine, China, um, Montreal, Canada, and in Mexico. And I can tell you, wherever you go, the leadership of the churches almost looks interchangeable. The leaders in the church in India could slide into the leadership of Grace Community Church and we'd never miss a beat. It all looks the same. Wherever you go, the leadership of the church looks, acts, functions, and responds the same way. And of course, there's personality differences. But within the constraints of personality, church leadership acts, looks, and functions the same way regardless of culture, regardless of language, regardless of whether it's in Sun Valley or it's here or hopefully it's in Redlands. It all looks the same. Church leadership is unique, it's specific, and again I'll say it's incredibly effective because it was designed, ordained, and instituted by who? By God. And it's not a big mystery. The church is His. He instituted the church and He has clearly described how He wants His church led, who He wants it led by, and how He wants His people to respond to that leadership. And it, again, is not complicated. And I pray this morning that I don't complicate it. Because if I do, I'm not being faithful to the truth that he has revealed in his Bible, in the Word of God. And today I want to approach the issue of church leadership from the standpoint of answering a couple questions. Hopefully they're questions you have in your mind. Um, Why does the church need leadership? What do church leaders do? How are church leaders chosen? And how are we to respond to church leadership? And those questions are all answered in Scripture and probably the one passage that is, answers them very concisely and clearly is Acts chapter 6. And if you could turn to Acts chapter 6, I want to anchor our understanding to this key passage that illustrates how, church, how the leadership in the church works, how it's chosen, who's chosen, and how you and I are to respond to church leadership. And when I say you and I, I say that as an elder. I need to respond to church leadership in the same way everybody else does. And and that applies to all of us. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, this is a very key passage. 
And I want to say up front that this passage is descriptive. Um, It is not prescriptive. And let me make that clear. Acts chapter 6 is relaying a series of events and how the church leadership responded to those events. And so it is descriptive. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke includes it in his account of the early church. And it turns out that Acts chapter 6 is like the frozen orange juice concentrate or the frozen lemonade. You know what I'm talking about. You buy the frozen lemonade or the frozen orange juice, you throw it in the pitcher and you add what? You add water. Acts 6 is that frozen concentrate. And we're going to add the water of the Word this morning to show you that what's described in Acts chapter 6 is consistent with the rest of Scripture so that it is almost prescriptive. And there's a couple of things to understand as we head into Acts chapter 6. There's some people identified that if you understand this, Acts 6 becomes a little bit easier to understand. First, it talks about the apostles or the twelve. That's talking about elders, the leaders of the church. The church is brand new. And when, you, when we see apostles in the twelve, it's talking about the church leaders or the elders. You'll also see a um, discussion of servants. Your Bible might say deacons. It's the same word in the original language. But um, it's talking about those, and you'll see, who are appointed by the twelve. And then you see the word disciples. We'll read the word disciples, and I want to make sure it's clear to you, it's not talking about the twelve disciples. It's talking about you and I, the equivalent in that church. The people who are redeemed, new believers who are in the church, um, who are attending the church. So with that in mind, I want to read through Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And this passage lays out the answers to why does the church need leaders what do the leaders do? How are they chosen and how are we to respond to leadership? Verse 1, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now, it may not jump out at you, but the answer to those questions are all there. And it's in a concentrated form that is consistent with the rest of God's revealed Word and, and this morning, what I'm going to attempt to do really is to skip the rocks across the water. I'm not going to go deep on this. I can't. You don't want to sit here until 2 o'clock this afternoon. Um, so I'm going to re- make reference to other passages. And, and I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, to maybe note down some of those passages and go back and read them later. Um, but if you stay, and, and we will be going to other passages 
Um, but if you just stay in Acts chapter 6 this morning, you're going to get the whole thing. Okay, but there's other passages, and I want you to understand that what's in Acts chapter 6 is, is really consistent with the rest of, of uh, Scripture. All right? So let's start addressing the questions. The first one is, why does the church need leadership? And this is a fair question, because if Christ is the head of the church, what does he need men for? And by his perfect, incredible design, he designed the church to be a human institution from the standpoint that it is led by men. And let's look in this case, why? At this time, the disciples were increasing in number. That's verse 1. So you have a bunch of new believers. There was a complaint that arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. We're not going to dive into all of those circumstances. But let me just describe kind of what's going on, and I think it'll make sense to you. The incident issue is that there's complaints. The, the church isn't being served well. There's neglect. There's hurt feelings. But let's pull back from what's going on here and think about this. When you have a brand new church with a bunch of brand new believers, think about what you've got. You're bringing into one place a bunch of people who all admit that they're what? Sinners. And they're well-practiced sinners. Amen? We all are. And you bring them into the same place at the same time, that's called church, you will have trouble. Okay? It's just the way it is. You're going to, and when it says in verse 1 um, that the disciples were increasing in number, you have a bunch of new believers, and so not only do you have admitted sinners, but you have really immature believers. Untaught, they want to do the right thing, but there's, you know what it's like. We're all there. When you first come to Christ, you're rooted in the habits that you developed when you're not a believer, and you want to change, but you don't quite know how to do that, so you've got all these issues going on. I always say, if you want to understand the depravity of man, hang around the church. Why do I say that? We're all redeemed, but we have that added understanding of the depths of our depravity. And it is an issue. And so we all understand the depravity of man, and so what's going on in the church is there's trouble. That's one, that's one reason. Down in verse 7, are a couple of other reasons why the church needs leadership. And this is the big one. The purpose of the church is laid out in concentrate form in verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading. Anchor Bible Church, here's what you're about. That the word of God would keep on spreading and the number of disciples continue to increase greatly in Jerusalem. The kingdom of God advances your church grows. Maybe not in numbers. The Lord's in control of that. But in depth of understanding and in the influence that you're going to have on your community, that's the purpose of the church. And you say, why does that indicate that we need leaders in the church? Well, if you look at the context of verse 7, it's talking about addressing the issues in the church and appointing church leadership. By God's design, an effective church. If you want to be a church where the word of God spreads and the number of disciples continue to increase, you need biblical church leadership. And that's why I say leadership as it's laid out in scripture is incredibly effective. Because where you see a church where the word of God is spreading and people are coming to Christ and it's growing, you will find spiritual leadership, biblical leadership. 
So why do we need leadership in the church? One is to resolve issues in the church, and there will always be issues in the church. The other reason is, more importantly, it facilitates the advance of the kingdom and the spread of the word of God. Okay? And why? I don't know. The Lord in his wisdom, his infinite wisdom and his love for us designed it that way. And I don't know about you, but that's good enough for me. So, what do church leaders do? Let's talk now about what church leadership is supposed to do and by inference what they're not supposed to do. Okay? There's two types of leadership in the church defined by scripture. One is deacons. Philippians, you don't have to turn there, one one says Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to and this is in the greeting to the church in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. That is only one of two significant places where the word deacon is ever used. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But deacons in the church are designed to be servants, to be helpers. Elders are pastors, overseers, leaders, and rulers, and we're going we're gonna to flesh that out as we go. But there's a basic overview of deacons and elders. The only other place that deacons is mentioned as a term is in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, where it talks about the qualifications of an elder and the spiritual qualifications of a deacon. Let's talk about elders first. God, by his design, has instituted the office of elder to provide oversight to the church. And in in the early church, starting in Acts 6, verse 2, the twelve, the leadership of the church, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Verse 4, what are, elders suppo- what are they supposed to do? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There is a distinction and a division of function. There's three things in Acts 6. Again, in concentrate form, it is one of the most concise descriptions of the function of an elder, and here it is. The ministry of the Word of God. You saw it in verse 2. The elders don't want to neglect the Word of God. And then in verse 4, we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word. So that's one function of an elder. Another is prayer. We will devote ourselves to prayer. Does that mean everybody else doesn't pray? No. That means this is their primary responsibility. Does that mean everybody else doesn't spend time in the Word? No. It means that the elders need to be, as a focus and a priority, being involved in the ministry of the Word. The third one is that they lead the church. And this is illustrated in Acts 6 through this story. They summon the congregation. In other words, that's leadership. The elders said to the congregation, let's come together and let's solve this problem. So the elders are to be involved in the ministry of the word and prayer and leadership of the church. They summon the congregation. Verse 3, they told the congregation how to solve the problem. And they looked away in verse 4 and said, but we're going to devote ourselves to what God's called us to do. In other words, there's delegation of responsibility. That's leadership. 
So I want to expand on this a little bit. By the way, this is not saying that elders are not to serve tables. The elders need to be servant um, leaders. And they will serve tables, but not to the neglect of the ministry as God's laid it out to elders. In other words, if the details, even in, in, in this place, of, of building up a church, of taking care of the details, is distracting your elder from the ministry of the word and prayer and, le- and leadership of the church, then others need to step up and take those responsibilities. That does not mean that the elders aren't involved in serving you. They are to serve tables, but not to the neglect of the ministry of the word and prayer and providing leadership. At some point, the serving of the tables becomes a hindrance. And this is a very common issue in churches where the pastor is forced to do all of the little details and the elders are forced to do all of the little details and what gets neglected then is the ministry of the word and prayer and the leadership of the church. There's two unique aspects of elder leadership that I just want to make note of here as we expand on on what is really the frozen concentrate in Acts chapter 6. First, the term elders and pastors is completely, in Scripture, interchangeable. There's no difference between an elder and a pastor. You go back to the original languages, and you've already heard I'm an accountant, so you might say, what do you know about original languages? Not much. But I read commentaries. And uh, um, I, I do studying, and I know that there is no difference in the Bible between the term elder, overseer, and pastor. They are one and the same thing. If you stop and think about that statement and its ramifications, it's pretty earth-shattering. Some come from churches, some of us come from churches where certain functions like preaching and teaching and visiting the sick and going to the hospital and handling funerals and weddings and evangelism are, are handled by the hired help. And the hired help are the pastors. It's not biblical. They are to be doing that. But under the direction and the prescription of Scripture, this is a purely cultural distinction. In other words, as an elder, I am involved in the same function of ministry as my pastor, John MacArthur. Now, he has way more influence, and he has way more time devoted to it, and he's better at it. But under the dictate of Scripture, there is no difference in our function within the context of the church. Saying that there's pastors and then there's elders, that's a distinction that doesn't, you won't find in the Bible. So our, our starting point is an understanding that the Bible doesn't draw any distinction between the terms pastor and elder. Pastor is an elder and an elder is a pastor. Now there's a practical distinction that has, um, um, of those terms that have, that those terms have come to represent that aren't necessarily anti-biblical. We need to be careful that we understand this distinction and not go any further than this. We've come to understand that pastors are full-time and they're supported by the church. And elders may have an alternative means of support and so they can't devote full-time to the church and they're supported by by their career. Um, That's a distinction that isn't anti-biblical. In fact, it's biblical. Even Paul was a tent maker. But Paul was the pastor's pastor. 
Okay? And we call those at our church lay elders. I'm a lay elder. I'm not full-time involved in the ministry. I work 40 to 50 to 60 to 80, sometimes hours a week. And yet on top of that, I have responsibilities within the church that I am required to function um, as a pastor. So that's one distinction. The second is it's important to understand that a discussion of church leadership is no place for words like corporate power, influence, control, manipulation. You know, there's a lot of books out there where people are trying to take corporate leadership methodologies and styles and rolling it back and applying it to the church. It's not necessarily biblical. That's not what church leadership is about. Church leadership from the standpoint of elders and pastors is leadership, ministry of the word, and prayer. And the other functions within the church, to the degree they're going to distract the elders from leadership, ministry of the word, and prayer, need to be delegated. Let me talk about leadership for a moment. Leadership in the church in the form of the office of elder or pastor is first and foremost servant leadership. I would encourage you at some point to read Acts chapter 20. It's the classic passage of Paul as he's saying goodbye to the church at Ephesus, talking about what eldership and pastor, pastorship, if you will, looks like. And it's servant leadership. It is serving the body of Christ. Second form of leadership talked about in the Bible, and it's really these two. It's servant leadership, and the second one is example leadership. You're probably familiar with the verse in Hebrews 13 that says, Remember those who led you and spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. The role of your pastor and those who will be elders of your church is to live their faith out loud in front of you in such a way that you see that it is um, um, conduct consistent with their faith and you say, I want to be like him. That's leadership in the church. It's not manipulation. It's not politics. It's not power. It's not authority. It's serving you and living their faith out loud in front of you in such a way that you say, I want to be like them. That's elder leadership. And that verse in Hebrews 13 I read you is verse 7. The first six verses of Hebrews 13 are devastating to those who would aspire to church leadership. Because those first six verses lay out kind of what that, that conduct looks like. And it talks about love of the brethren, hospitality to strangers, pr- um, ministry to prisoners, marriage, Moral purity, the famous verse that the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That is a very clear verse. There's no stuttering in that. So in the area of love for the brethren, hospitality, ministry, um, marriage, moral purity, character that's free from the love of money, contentment, and trusting in the providence of God, that's all laid out in Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, and it's a scary passage. If anybody aspires to leadership in the church, that's what you look at. Not the power and authority that comes from the title. So that's leadership. How about the ministry of the word? Titus 1.9 defines it this way. That the ministry of the word is that elders and pastors should be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. 
There it all is. So the ministry of the Word is faithfulness to Scripture. It's preaching and teaching. It's guarding the the doctrinal purity of the church. And it's shepherding the people of the church with the Word of God. Note, the ministry of the Word is not the ministry of the opinions and the preferences of the elders. It's the ministry of the Word. And so your spiritual leadership, your elders, your pastor will be teaching you and training you not in how they want you to act, how they want you to be, but God's Word. What the Word of God has to say. Alright, let's go back to Acts chapter 6. We see the ministry of the elders is, and I know I've said this probably ten times, I want you to walk out with a clear memory of what elders do. Ministry of the Word, ministry of the prayer, and leadership of the church. Deacons, verse 2, talks about serving tables. And that's why we call this descriptive. It is not prescriptive that deacons only serve tables. It is descriptive of a need in the church, details that need to get taken care of, that by necessity need to be organized, supervised, and managed. And don't forget verse 1, that it's all in the context of human conflict. It's not just serving tables. It's not just taking care of details. It's not just taking care of the kids downstairs in the basement. It's doing it in a biblical, God-honoring way. So while the elders are involved in all of those tasks, they have to exercise the discipline of not allowing those tasks to to distract them from their primary role. And let me talk about the difference between elders and deacons. It's not a management structure. Okay? It's not an org chart. Um, It's not a hierarchy of spiritual achievement. Deacons aren't junior elders. And elders aren't super deacons. It's not a hierarchy of spiritual achievement. It's not a distinction of popularity. Um, It's not a distinction of wealth, ability, or good looks. None of that has anything to do with the distinction between elders and deacons. It is a difference in function within the church. And some of you aspire to leadership in the church, and you know I never want to preach, and I don't want to teach, and I, I'm, that's not me. That's okay. Serve the church as a deacon. It is a different calling. Both are equally important, I would even say critical, to the unity of the church and the ultimate function of the church, which is the ministry of the word and the spread of the gospel. Okay? So, how are church leaders chosen? We've seen why church leadership. We've seen what do church leaders do. Elders, I won't say it again. Hopefully you've got it. Deacons are involved in the service of the church. Well, how do you pick these people? Well, Acts 6 kind of gives us some guidance on that. If you look at verse 3, we're going to look at how how church leaders are chosen and also in the context of that, who gets chosen. Okay, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you. I'm going to stop there and tell you, church leadership is selected from among the church. You're in an unusual situation here where you have three guys kind of serving as elders, giving oversight from a long way away. It's very temporary. And the goal here is that you will choose from among you your church leadership. And God willing, that will happen quickly doesn't have to, Um, but 
you will choose from among you, from your own church, in, in, in Acts 6, seven men of good reputation. Now let me just stop. Seven, there's no magic to that number. That's where we say this passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. The elders in their wisdom saw that they probably needed seven men to oversee whatever this issue was. They could have said six, they could have said eight. Okay, so this is purely descriptive. Seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. So you will pick from among you, you will pick those of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wise and trustworthy. And once again, Acts 6, in that description, provides a very concise consolidation of of the description elsewhere in Scripture of what spiritual leadership looks like. If all you walk out of here with is that you need leadership that, is, that has a good reputation, full of the Spirit, wise and trustworthy, you've got a good understanding of what the rest of Scripture says. And just to illustrate that, I'm going to read to you two passages. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. You can turn there if you want or you can just listen. These are probably familiar passages to some of you. But this is, if we were to really dig in and talk about church leadership, this is where we would spend a lot of time. First, First Timothy 3. It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of elder or overseer or pastor, interchangeable. It is a fine work, not an office. It is a work he desires to do. An elder then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? and not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. That's pretty daunting, isn't it? Let me just make a quick comment here, and I'll continue to read. There is not a single command of behavior in there that doesn't apply to everybody in this room whether you're an elder, a deacon, or someone who just came to church, you know, just wants to be someone who comes to church. This is all consistent with what we're all commanded to be elsewhere in Scripture, with the exception of aspiring to the office and able to teach, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 8, deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested then let them serve as deacons if they're beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And there's so much to say there, but we're just going to move on. Titus chapter 1. Um, again, probably familiar, starting in verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. A quick comment there. 
the elders have identified Todd as a man who is qualified and capable and anointed of the Lord to be an elder and a pastor. And really what we're doing is we're saying to Todd, we are leaving you in, let's say, Redlands, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. You're right here in Titus 1.5, your church, right here. We're following this model. Namely, that if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the elder, overseer, pastor, must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, and here it is, so that he will be able both to exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. There's three weeks of studying together to get through all of that. But I wanted to read it to you so that you see the qualifications of an elder are high and the qualifications of a deacon are equally high. In fact, the only difference between the qualifications of an elder and a deacon is the ability to teach, the giftedness of teaching, and the desire to be an elder. If you look at the, uh, the lists, they are redundant. They are, they are the same in every other way. And in Acts 6, when, you, when it says, pick men of good reputation, I hope you heard this, that the term above reproach was in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 several times. It is the first qualification in each list. And the, the point of that is that with the exception of the ability to teach and the desire um, to be an elder, every other qualification of an elder and a deacon simply fleshes out what does it mean to be above reproach. If you look at all the rest of them, a husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, all of those have to do with ex- describing what does it mean to be above reproach. And it's important to note that it's um, being above reproach inside the church and outside the church. Daunting list. I hope I'm not talking everybody out of wanting to be in church leadership. What I want to do is, is for us to understand how seriously Christ takes the leadership of His church. If you look in 1 Timothy 3.2, there is a word there that is very important and it says must. The elders and the deacons must have these qualifications. Which is why there is no rush to appoint spiritual leadership. We want to get this right. We want to do this the right way. Alright? So, that's how the church, how church leadership gets picked. It's from among you. Elders, um, your elders will be appointed by Todd with the oversight of the elders at Grace for as long as we're needed, and we're not going to hang in there any longer than we're needed. It's not because we don't love Todd and don't love your church. But the biblical model is that your leadership is from among you. And then the the elders will um, lead you through the process of identifying those who are qualified and functioning to serve the church. All right? Now, let's just wrap this up look at how we're supposed to respond to church leadership. Back in Acts chapter 6. Why does the church need leaders? Because that's how God designed it. 
The church is a living, dynamic place with a specific mission, and it cannot function efficiently without church leadership. What, do the, what does leadership do? There's elders, there's deacons. The elders are to lead, um, be involved in the ministry of the word and prayer. Deacons are to do the other tasks to free the pastors and elders up to do what they need to do. Um, how are they chosen? You pick men of good reputation, men full of the spirit and wise, responsible, trustworthy from among you. And lastly, how should we respond to church leadership? And this is, uh, um, this is great. I, I want to start with Hebrews 13, 17, and 18. Again, you can look at it later. Classic passage, you've heard it. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. There's four things that are laid out in Hebrews 13 that we're supposed to do in response to the leadership over us. We're to obey them. We're to submit to them. We are not to cause grief. And we're to pray for spiritual leadership. Obey, submit, don't cause grief, and pray for them. And I, I wanted to go there first because what Acts 6 does is illustrate in an amazing way those exact four things. The example of the early church. Remember, there's a problem. The elders come in and they say, let's appoint leadership. Um, this is how we need you to do it. Look among your church. Select seven. Um, and, uh, and then uh, bring them back to us. We'll pick it up in verse 5. The statement found approval with the entire congregation. Their submission. There's no description there of somebody saying, wait, why not eight? Wait, I think we need 14, not seven. It's immediate. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. There's unity in that congregation. They're submitting to their leadership. Then it says, and they chose Stephen. And it goes on and lists the other six men. What's that? That's obedience. That's Hebrews 13, 7, right there. Submission, obedience. They picked these men, and it says in verse 6, they brought before the apostles these seven men. Okay? They brought them before the apostles. They're causing joy and not grief. They didn't go back to the, the elders and say, we could only find six. Or we found seven and they're not quite the character that you told us to look for. No, they brought the seven. And again, you see submission because they didn't come and say these are the men. They brought before the apostles and after praying. It's a process of praying, Lord, are these the men? After praying, the elders laid their hands on them. Right there in very concise Description in verse 5 and 6 is Hebrews 13, 7 and 8, the process of what obedience, submission, not causing grief, and praying for the leadership, what it looks like. It is a beautiful thing. Submission and obedience to leadership in our culture is very much frowned upon. The church cannot function without submission and obedience to leadership, particularly biblical, godly leadership. 
If their ministry is the word and, and prayer, then their leadership will be that which you can obey, which you can submit to, which you will never want to cause grief to. But don't ever forget, please pray for your leadership. Pray that God would bring leadership. The, the concept of prayer as it relates to church leadership is just all the way through Scripture. But for the sake of time, we'll just leave that there. Acts 6 illustrates the design and the function of church leadership. It is not like any leadership you will find anywhere else in the world. It is like leadership you will find all over the world, regardless of language, culture, because we're all studying the same Word of God. And God's Word is really as clear and simple as I hope I've tried to make it this morning. That the church needs leadership. Why? Because God designed it that way. The church has a purpose. What, do, what does church leadership do? Your pastors and elders are to be pastoring you, teaching you, preaching, training you, discipling you, praying for you, leading you. Other church leadership is, are to be doing the other functions that will free those men up to do that. How are they chosen from among you? Men of great character. Men of exemplary behavior of a servant's heart. And then what is our response to that church leadership? We're to obey, to submit, to not cause grief, and to pray for that leadership. Let me close our time in the Word in prayer. Lord, it is such a gift from You. We love Your church. Lord, we love this church. We believe... At Grace Church and here, we believe firmly that your hand is in this church, that you have designed the formation of this church, and you know the future of this church. And Lord, we believe it to be big for you. Lord, it's our desire that, the, that this church functions as you would have it function. But we pray for the leadership that you are developing even right now. Lord, be with the men who aspire to church leadership. Um, Help them to examine their hearts, to examine their lives. Help them to commit not to power and authority and influence, but to commit to the ministry of the word and prayer and the leadership of your church. Lord, we've seen that your design is perfect and that it has incredible impact, but we're excited for what you're going to do here. I pray for Todd as he provides um, solitary leadership for now. Lord, I know it's in his heart that he yearns to have men around him to, to share that load with. Lord, give him the desire of his heart, not for his comfort or his glory, but for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. We thank you for the clarity of your word. May your Holy Spirit teach us even now and as we go from here. We pray this in your name. Amen.